the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson. Our phone number, should you like to wish to join the conversation, is 602-508-0960. It's good to see Mr. Bill to my west. You know what I always like is the confidence you give me when I start talking at the top of the hour. You always nod your head. Like I got my name right and I got the phone number right. So we're off to a good start. <laughs> You're on your own from there. Mr. David Dahl, my producer. So many names he's now brought on himself from his real one to David Soul to Grasshopper to Young David could vote, have the audience vote which one they like the best. I think you can do polls on Twitter. Yeah. Can't you? Yeah. yeah. I don't know how accurate they are. That's all right. And Miss Terry, of course, to his septent. We'll do a mail-in campaign. <laughs> we'll do a mail-in ballot. The great historian and former librarian of Congress, Daniel Burston, wrote an undervalued book called The Image. It's in the 1960s. His thesis was that we live in and through too many media-generated what he called pseudo-events. Pseudo-events. It's worth thinking on. Events that aren't just false, but manufactured to be more or less important than they should be. I give you this paragraph from CNN this morning on the new White House initiative to combat anti-Muslim bias, which was announced yesterday. Quote, The initiative comes as Israel's war with Hamas, which has seen a rising number of civilian deaths in Gaza, has increased fears of Islamophobia in the United States, and some of the nation's largest Muslim American groups have denounced Biden's approach to the conflict. Did you pick that up? Did you get that? Not Islamophobia in the United States. Fear of Islamophobia in the United States. Concern that something might happen and that something is itself broken down, a fear of Islam, and to be fair, an inordinate fear of Islam. That's what a phobia over Islam is. But it's not even the phobia itself. It's the fear of the phobia. That's what it says in CNN. Fears of Islamophobia. One may think this is absurd given the goings-on in this country right now because outside of the fear of a perceived fear, there is an actual and documented anti-religious craze going on in this country. Does the White House know it? But it isn't against Muslims or Arabs. It's against Jews, you know, the ones who just bore witness to and were victimized by the greatest slaughter of their co-religionists since the discovery of the concentration camps in Europe in 1945. And just to aid and assist the denial of the attack and the speed with which we attempt to erase the horror of the victims being held hostage, kidnapped and taken to some pit of hell in a Hamas tunnel, we have a wave of people taking down posters with the names and faces of those hostages being held. Over 230 hostages who may or may not be alive, over a dozen of whom are American. People are taking down those posters to erase it. National Review did a good service on Twitter. I reposted it. They have the posters of all of them over at National Review. As as, uh, Walter Russell Mead wrote only two days ago in the Wall Street Journal, quote, 
Across the U.S., anti-Semitic incidents, including vandalism, harassment, and assaults, are up roughly 400% since the Hamas attacks on October 7th. 400%. October 7th wasn't enough. Too many saw the slaughter or disbelieved it, as you hear some people put it, or blamed the victim and decided, let's beat up on more Jews, but now let's do so in America. So the White House organized a joint effort by the National Security Council and the Domestic Policy Council to combat anti-Muslim sentiment in America. Now perhaps you understand why, when asked about concerns over rising anti-Semitism in America, at the White House press briefing last week, Karin Jean-Pierre spoke about concerns over anti-Muslim bias. Now you understand. She was setting the stage for this. Meanwhile, the effort to censure Rashida Tlaib for grossly and falsely claiming and maintaining that Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza failed in the House of Representatives yesterday, thanks to 23 Republicans as well. This was supposed to be a dividing point for the Democratic Party. 23 Republicans went wobbly on this and gave the victory to the Democrats that we could have had not only for common sense, sanity, human rights, and civil rights, but to put the Democrats a little bit of their back against the wall. In his book, The Image, that I was referring to earlier, Dr. Borston wrote this, quote, We suffer primarily not from our vices or our weaknesses, but from our illusions. We are haunted not by reality, but by those images we have put in place of reality. Close quote. Dr. Borston wrote this in the 1960s. Now I give you today, and we have the national security and domestic policy apparatus of the White House of the presidency turning its ship of state toward fear of something that hasn't happened and has not been happening and will not happen over and against something that has happened, is happening, and will get worse. Headline, CNN, earlier this year, quote, anti-Semitic hate crimes increase anti-Muslim hate crimes stable. And what is the level? What are the measurements? Until this month before the 400% increase, here's the FBI data. Anti-Jewish hate crimes last year, data from which until this month's survey, it's the most recent, 1,124. Measured against anti-Islamic incidents, 158. 611% more anti-Jewish hate crimes than anti-Muslim in this country last year. And now an additional 400% increase against Jews, and the White House is doing and announcing a massive anti-Islamic hate crime initiative. It pretends to protect human rights. That's a quote. That's a quote. It's from Vaclav Havel about his then-Soviet-controlled Czechoslovakia. It pretends to protect human rights. Between pretending and protecting from fear of something not happening and not likely to happen, and respecting the image more than the reality. I, to quote from A Man for All Seasons, I show you the times. They are not good times. These are not good times. I don't know if your world and communion or community of friends and acquaintances is like mine, but if so, everyone is stressed beyond belief, like no other time I can recall. People are on edge. People are nervous. People aren't sleeping. If that's not true of your community, please introduce me to your community. If it is, know that you are not alone. And maybe knowing that you're not alone helps a little bit. 
But knowing it is only the first step. Admitting we have a problem is only the first step. And it's not really a sufficient one because we are put in this place by people who are callous, stupid, and incompetent. At the political level, we have driven and created a human crisis, or put better, a crisis of and for humanity, and it affects our psychological levels. When and as we speak of the youth mental health crisis, remember the youth live in a world run by adults, supposedly, so there must obviously be an adult mental health crisis as well, or an adult evil crisis that is willing to act through imagery and ideology and misprioritized values, selfish values. I don't have another explanation. You know, we've been told for the past seven years we live in a country where much of our leadership and half our country is fascist or white nationalist and that we are on the cusp of an existential crisis when we aren't in the midst of a constitutional crisis. How can that not affect people, that constant reverberation? Of course, these were and are all lies, but people will believe in and live by lies. Rudyard Kipling warned long ago, don't live in them, but people do, and people purvey them. And that's deliberate. It's deliberately caused. Again, for ideology and misprioritized and deprioritized values, selfish values. Remember the scientist whistleblower in the HBO series Chernobyl? He could have never been more right than today. He said, what is the cost of lies? It's not that we'll mistake them for the truth. The real danger is that if we hear enough lies, then we will no longer recognize the truth at all. Find the truth, not your truth, not my truth, not David Dahl's truth, but the truth, and live it. But more importantly, speak it. It's our only way out. Veritas liberabit vos. The truth will set you free. We say it, but we don't believe it. Hell, that statement is engraved at the entrance of the CIA, a CIA which covered up a story about a former vice president's son when the former vice president was running for president because his opponent was that old perceived existential threat to our country. Well, I can only say two things. What I wouldn't give for that threat our former president gave us over that which we have now. And second, what a perfect irony, if not description of our times, and their perversions that such a phrase, the truth will set you free, adorns a place like the CIA, knowing its perversions of truth for domestic political reasons. Now when we return, let's talk about adults and social media and what it's doing. I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. You know, I had mentioned the first step is admitting there's a problem. It put me in mind. Today in the USA Today, Hunter Biden has a... Uh, as an op-ed, I fought to get sober. Political weaponization of my addiction hurts more than me. And he blames conservatives for weaponizing the fact that he's in recovery as a taunt. This adult child, this man-child... He writes, I am not a victim by any standard. I grew up with privilege and opportunity and fully accept that the choices and mistakes I made are mine and I am accountable for them and will continue to be. They usually say in the recovery programs, I know you might want to take a little bit of a beat from the moment of your sobriety before you start making public issues of it. Um, he doesn't even understand the sentences he's writing here. I am accountable for them, 
and will continue to be. That's what recovery is about. Well, everyone in recovery knows that, but he makes a mockery of it because he denies the very things he should be owning up to. Does anyone remember his interview with CBS when he was asked about the laptop? Does anyone remember that? Has he ever apologized to us for this in the midst of the political campaign? This interview with Tracy Smith? Was that your laptop? For real, I don't know. I know, but, but you know that's... Is, this I really don't know. Okay. For real, he doesn't know. know. Yes or no if the laptop I don't have was any yours. idea. I have no idea. So could have been yours. Of course, certainly. It, 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 there could be a laptop out there that was stolen from me. There could be that I was hacked. It could be that <laughs> there was the that it was Russian intelligence. Ah, and, yes, the Russian intelligence thing. That's really accepting accountability, and that's really what recovery is all about, perpetuating lies. I am accountable for them and will continue to be. And then he goes into blaming people by name for making fun of him and um, how it's hurting his and every other uh, addict in recovery maintain their sobriety. What a low man this is. You know... Let me tell you something about uh, this invented stigma here. I, I, I get I get the issue of stigma. I understand it, but let's not over let's not overstate it and invent it into. I don't know. I, I, I'm looking at two or three people right now who can I think hear me in, in in front of me, and I'm guessing each and every one of you, each of you, I'm guessing each of you knows someone in recovery. Just because it's so, so prominent, someone. But even if you don't, would would you stigmatize them or would you be supportive of them? I don't know anyone who is in recovery that people who know them aren't supportive of them. First of all. Second of all, I'll give you the counter example. I'll give you the example here. Patrick Kennedy. Do you guys know who Patrick Kennedy is? Ted's son, former congressman, red-haired congressman from Rhode Island, liberal Democrat famous addict in recovery. I think he has about 11 years now. I think he got sober in his 40s. No one makes fun of him for political purposes. And he's a Kennedy, which is easier to make fun of than a Biden, usually used to be. And during that period, people didn't make fun of him for his addiction and recovery. You know why? Because he was serious about it. And he didn't blame people and lie to people. And you know what he did? He did something positive about it. He has dedicated his life now to helping people deal with addiction issues. Republicans, no one made fun of him for it. No one makes fun of him for it. He took serious responsibility, and he didn't weaponize it for a political purpose. Shame on Hunter Biden for doing it, this man-child. By the way, yeah, man-child, he's in his 50s. This is a well-grown adult. As we used to understand the term, his addiction problems may... This is a serious point. It's not a... It happens. They, they may have stunted his mental growth. It does happen. I mean, it, it, it does happen. They may have arrested his emotional and psychological maturity. That is a problem with addiction, after all, in some cases. Too many. But who are the adults around him allowing him to do this and write this and make a fool of himself and the whole issue and weaponize it for political purpose? I'll tell you who. It's his legal team. His legal team is doing this. This is a man who has routinely lied 
you know, he was in a deposition even more even more recently than that CBS interview during the campaign. He was in a deposition being sued by Mac Isaac, the guy who um, who he left his laptop with. And he gave confused and dishonest responses during that and refused to admit the laptop was his. And he denies and lies about a lot of other things, too, doesn't he? Remember how he tried to deny his own child? I, this is this is just it's it's a it's a walking mental health breakdown taking place in public and being weaponized for political purposes and adults around him are let him, letting him do it i'm not going to say what i think we're all probably thinking but i just wanted to point it out don't get sucked in by this don't be taken in by this oh what did my friend dr john write CSI, oh, from my monologue, CSI, callous, stupid, and incompetent. We should write that down, David, the new CSI. Callous, stupid, and incompetent. It's not about the show. It's about our elites and our culture. Doug is in Maricopa. Hi, Doug. Well, good afternoon, Seth. How the heck are you? Well, I'm hanging in there like all of us seem to be. Well, as you can tell, probably the last few weeks, I'm a little on edge myself. I don't know um, anyone not, who isn't. Do you yeah. know anyone who isn't? No, Do you know no, anyone I sleeping don't. well these days? No. I don't either. No, actually. Uh, and you're not, a well-adjusted I, person. I know I know of you. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. But, you know, uh, I think your monologue hit home with me because uh, I have a lot of friends that are sleepless, uh, depressed, and frustrated, and I'm trying to buoy them up and get them in a fighting spirit. But I myself, you know, have been uh, worrisome about the trajectory of the the legal warfare that is going on is taking our toll. But I was going to say, I think what especially outraged me and pushed me to the point of almost sounding bitter on the radio, by the way, bitter on on the does not make good radio. (laughs) So was I had a friend uh, who has some connections and a week or 10 days ago, he talked me into, he said, you've got to see some of the video coming out of Israel. These are real videos taken by people and some by the military of the slaughter over there. Yeah, I and saw I, I saw video of reporters yeah. watching it. By the way, which is yeah. itself an emotional thing. I, oh, I I have to take a break. I want you to stay with me, but yeah. as I go to break, okay. I want to read you an email from listener Andy. Okay. Don't underestimate why Israel's. Oh, I don't understand why Israel's atrocities video is not released worldwide. Show the world the vile proof. It should be shown on every campus in the U.S. Let's show those images on the side of college buildings. Yeah, see if the GW students will put that up. Be right back. Speaking of addiction, David, you were telling me about uh, Berrigan and uh, the trumpet player, right? And um, Yes, Bunny Berrigan. Yeah, and how he uh, had a real problem with the drink. right? And he was home. drunk when he recorded his yeah. most famous song. Yeah, I Can't Get Started. Yes, I Can't Get Started. We have a version of that somewhere, don't we? Uh, get us a good version. Maybe. Get us, get, get, get us Maynard's version. Maybe go out with it. Maynard does a great job. Let on me it. see if I can find something. Yeah. He's recorded it many a time. Um, 
But uh, that guy we just came in with, Keith Whitley, he died at a very young age, too, from that problem. Married to, uh, oh gosh, uh, Lori, uh, another country singer, Lori um, Morgan. Anyway, uh, Doug in Maricopa, sorry. Thank you for waiting, Doug. Oh, my pleasure, Seth, as, as always. Yeah, but I'd like to do a quick, a quick compliment to your show, because in these times when we can be emotionally on edge and sound more intense and, you know, then we probably want to be in more depressed than we should be. This show stays reasoned and on focus. You have Weikert, you have Pepperdine University, you have the Holmans, all the all your whole stable of, of reasoned people, and I want to compliment you for that. We, Thank we are you. all the beneficiaries. Thank you. We really are. Thank you. It's yeah. been attributed to Mark Twain. I'm not sure it's accurate, but the quote is true, and it was in uh, the breast pocket of Fred Rogers. Calm is a language the blind can read and the deaf can hear. I think yeah. we owe it to speak that yeah. language. Yep. I, I, I want us to, and I've, um, I think I've kind of calmed down here over the last few weeks because I first kind of sank because, as you, as you know, I'm a big history buff, and I spend a good portion, several hours a day reading history, uh, historical accounts, you know, of, of Western civilization. And I've seen some of the videos of World War II, and in my mind, it was of those times of my father's generation that they had to endure it. And you, and you know, there are deniers that it happened, even though we have the video of the atrocities that make you believe that the devil can be manifested on this earth, because that's the only way you can explain such evil to done to the Jews and the and the Slavs. And you, you understand why Eisenhower dragged the townspeople around these camps there because he knew it was it was so degrading, his you know human wise that they were there would be deniers. So he forced them to go see it, mm. and then but to see it today, and to see the very same denying going on, I think shakes you to our soul. And so I, I'm, I'm glad we're calm and I'm glad we're, but I think we need to be resolute. And I think you said something today that I, I'd like to reiterate that we have to speak loudly. Yeah. We can't not do that because in my mind, all those years, I always hoped I would be the brave Christian that took the Jews into my house and I would stand morally and spiritually with them. And I can't today. I've actually got in several. I had a discussion with a Ph.D. You've heard me say you have to be really educated to be that stupid. Yeah. That was referring to a conversation I had just had. I should have explained it uh, with a doctor, Ph.D., one of the, just a very high-end doctor worth many millions of dollars. He's brilliant. And he was arguing the Palestinian side, uh-huh. justifying it, thinking he was reasoned. And I wasn't going to relent. I'm just an art, an artist, but we have to say, and you got to be careful because you don't want to upset clients or anybody in the art community. But we can't morally back down or let it go. It's you know that kind of indoctrination. And you know what it is? He is a liberal who, because he thinks he's compassionate. 
So therefore, he buys into the intersectionality of things. And I'll tell you what I got from him, Seth, and tell me if you think it's, you know, if I'm right, that he sees Jews basically as white, bad, X them off. And then he sees that Israel is more Western, X them off. All right, hold that thought. Yeah, we we need to come back on this. Hold the thought. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I I would normally ask someone your age, David, if they know what a 78 is, but I know you know what a 78 is. But I bet most people your age don't. It's a do phonograph you, record. Yeah, do you think most people know what a 78 is your age? I don't either. Doug, thank you. You were talking about intersectionality in Jews. So. Yes, and um, but before I do jump into that um, weighty subject— I did want to jump in there for Dave's uh, defense. I'll say he's kind of a young, dirty Harry. Yeah. I, I saw that on Twitter, and yeah. I have to say he did a pretty snappy job. Yeah, or Fred Rogers or Frank Sinatra <laughs> or anyone yeah. who dressed yeah. normally in 1971. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. That, that was back in the day when you had a— People wore suits and they wore Yeah, I know, but you can't expect him for—you can't expect people to think he was Dirty Harry if he's just dressing like Dirty Harry, who dressed like everyone else. He was a plain-clothes police officer. By definition, he was trying to mix in, to be indistinct. (laughs) It's not a costume to dress like someone who dressed like everyone else. (laughs) Well— I would like to say, all in all, I appreciate his, I appreciate his efforts because I see ghosts, I see all this kind of macabre stuff, and that was a throwback to my era. Okay. You know, he was one of my John Wayne and uh, Clint Eastwood big fans. So yeah. he's he's trying to imitate the right guy, yeah. whether it be. I, I know, or not. but they all dressed the same. Yeah. Meanwhile, he looks well, like David true. Soul. Okay, go on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyhow, the inter- and so I think it all comes down to intersectionality with liberals, morality be damned, and also mass, I mean, political mass. They look at the Jew- Jewish, and I think it's incorrectly when you think of the Jews in Yemen, a beautiful movie of the rescue of some of the Jews in, in Yemen, the, you know, all black, and in Arabic, and there's Jews of every You, you, you know, might be thinking of size. Ethiopia. Oh, Ethiopia! Thank you so much. But I know why you said that because Ye- the yeah. Yemen Jewish population is a bar- is a large part of Israel. Most of Israel is not right. white. Most of, right. this is this is a myth that Israel is a it, white. It, it's not. Yeah, but most of it absolutely. is what are known as Sephardic and Mizrahi from places like Yemen. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and I was shocked when I met the gentleman and found out he was Jewish. He yeah. was, you know, and uh, but so I think there's a, mis- a mystique that. Most Jews are white, and that's bad. Cross them off. And that the Jewish culture, Israel being the only Western culture for the most part, in what we think of Western values of liberty and that kind of thing in the Middle East, so cross that off. And then they look at the past, and and they always look at, liberals always look at the world as the new liberal, as there has to be a colonizer. Because you are white, Western, you're a colonizer. And and so, therefore, colonizer, Western, bad. But no one can and tell he, me why the Husseins ruled Jordan, or why there's a country called Jordan. Well, or, of course. Okay. Yeah, 
But see, the more we try to use historical logic, which is what I was doing with this doctor, I had two sheets because I heard um, a guy was going over the history of the Jews in the area, and it's pages long of you know everything going on and i and i and but it was like it couldn't break through the the intersectionality there has to be a victim and there has yeah, to be yeah an and this is kind of the the problem of um boy it's a deep one uh of of the jewish people who don't who like other minorities perhaps like asian minorities um don't like to be seen as victims, though persecuted. Maybe the most persecuted people in all history. They don't like to be seen as victims, and um, I, I don't well, know. Maybe, maybe it comes from you know. Maybe it comes from from Exodus. You know, Moses saw a Jew yeah. being beaten, and he didn't call the ADL. You know, yeah, yeah. he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. I, he didn't claim a a, a a need for affirmative action. Um, they well, don't like doing that, and it's and and yet it's on the tip of everyone's tongue who knows anything about the people or the place. I mean, it is right. the one small right. country of the only non-Arab country. There are twenty fifty-six Muslim com- countries and twenty-two Arab countries. There's one Israel. Yeah. Who's who's yeah. who's the majority and who's the minority? And 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 the majority of the Israeli population, the Israeli Jewish population, is not white. Is not white. And and when the Jews, remember, the Jews began to migrate again back to their homeland after the decimation and the brutality of World War II, those that survived. I actually, my great-grandfather um, came from a Jewish fam- German family, and he converted to Christianity, didn't sit well. So he came to the United States. But our whole section of uh, uh, that whole line of the family is basically fun, you know, and it just chills you. But these people moved with nothing after losing most of the people they knew. And here's the difference, and this is the attitude of the Jews versus the Arabics, is uh, if you read an account by Mark Twain of the area of Israel, when he was there in the late 1800s, they, there was nothing. And if the Palestinians say they were there, which I debate and argue and I, you know, I, I debate, but the whole point was there was nothing. And when the Jews came, they were the refugees, but they, they, is all they required was to build a land and they, and, and in several generations built something that is just breathtaking. You know now who could have, have done that? Tech. You know who could have done that? They could have. Gaza could have. You bet. Gaza they could have. Subsidies, they have subsidies that... Oh, they that have to, they, they had 20 years to start. Yes. They built missiles they instead. Had, they could have done... They have oceanfront they, property, bet. which is something, you, you yes. know? Yeah. Yes. And so the difference was they the Jews had nothing and they built something, and the Palestinians get everything and build nothing. And so that, I'm sorry, that sounds cold, but we have to realize we have to stand with our Jewish brothers. They built tunnels, they built tunnels and missiles. They built tunnels. And and, and I was listening to, um, uh, you know, Netanyahu talking to uh, Peter uh, Jordan, Dr. Jordan. Peterson, yeah. And it was a great interview. 
And, yes, and he was basically saying, we've sent them pipes, and they melt the pipes and build guns, you know, and bombs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can we see videos them of them using these water pipes and turning yeah. them into You can see the yeah. video of it. You yeah, know. yeah. It, it, and, and so they have no desire to do it. And then because they are uh, doing nothing but uh, starving and living on subsidies, instead of saying we've had a long way we've gone a wrong direction they turn around and and spit on the people that have helped subsidize it and blame the jews and ask for a ceasefire do you know when there was a ceasefire by the way there was a recent ceasefire october Mm. 6th there was a ceasefire in that yeah all right brother thank you i gotta run god bless you take care thanks I know you're just dying to do something about the Beatles, aren't you? Something about McCartney. I know you are. I know. I'll let you say what you want to say about them in a minute. First, let me put in a nice word for a great company, one of our sponsors, Why Refi. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually does help people? You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market. Or the Federal Reserve with Y-Refi. You are in control. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose. There are absolutely no fees. You can have peace of mind. There is no attack on principle. If you ever need your money back, you'll get your monthly statement. No surprises. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that makes makes you up to a 10.25 fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. They're locally based right here, offices on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can go visit with them. I've been there a lot of times. No sales pitches. Won't be asked to sign a thing. Folks all over the country are earning a high fixed rate of return with Y-REFI, and they don't care about what happens with the stock market or the Fed, because with Y-REFI, you can do well by doing good. Trustworthy and honest. Again, check them out, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Make sure and tell them Seth sent you. All right, David, say your piece. I know you've been dying to say it. What do I need to say? It's Beatle Day. You don't need to, but you want to, so do it. It's uh, In case the audience does not know, the Beatles song, which we talked about and discovered over the summer— which was a collaborative effort between Paul, George, John, and Ringo, was finally released today. They used the track of John Lennon's from 1978 that he recorded on a little cassette tape in his living room and used an AI invented by Peter Jackson of The Lord of the Rings to enhance the vocal vocal quality of the tape. And Paul and Ringo played their parts, and I believe they sampled from George... Because they all tried to record it in 1997, but George walked out of the session and said the audio was just too bad on John's part. And so I believe they sampled some of George's audio from 1997 and put it all together, and it sounds very... uh, Boring. It it sounds sounds, boring. It's boring. uh, Yeah, okay. It it is boring. You want to go out with it to to show people? We'll do that. Yeah, and you've been all about this. It's a Beatles song. The mountains have rumbled, and they've produced... A mouse, as Ovid said. Don't go away. The great Andy McCarthy coming right up.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.